welcome to episode 29 of Auto Off Topic. I'm Brad. I'm your other host, Andrew. And uh, another episode, another guest this week. We had a really positive response to the last episode. And I just want to thank all our listeners. Uh, that means a lot to us. We didn't intend for this to be a Mitsubishi exclusive podcast, but uh, the Mitsubishi enthusiast community is a bit underserved. And we're happy to fill that void, I guess. As uh, well as some other things that, you know, sneak in there. Motorsports and oh, certainly. Just general car stuff. Yeah. I mean, we we just love cars. It just happens that we own Mitsubishis, and I guess it sort of worked out that way. But we're going to do something a little different, because last week we talked about 4x4s and off-roading, and we kind of did the week before. Yep. We're going to go more with Lance Revolutions, Glant VR4s. We're still on pavement, though. Yeah, well, some of it's pavement. I mean, more of the rally and track performance of Mitsubishi's. And that brings us to our guest tonight, which is who is uh, Alex Grabau, formerly of Densport Garage. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, Grabau. Yeah, everybody says Grabau. Oh. I'm not French. It's a Dutch, oh, Dutch cool. origin. Yeah. So Alex owns and races. It's an Evo 3, correct? Yeah, uh, it's Evo 2, but, you know, they're kind of the same thing, so... Yeah. It has Evo 3 side skirts, right? Yeah, it yeah. does. That's yeah. what always confuses me on that car. Oh, okay. I've seen it. And, Apparently uh, that's a popular thing to do. I don't know why. It's, but they probably deep for it more aggressive, I think. So they yeah. probably just changed you know, by previous owners at some point. Yeah. Yep. Right. So Alex has this car set up for hill climbs and track days, and you're currently prepping it for the Mount Washington climb of the clouds in June, right? I am. I am. That's cool. And you've had that, I guess we'll talk about that car, because it's nicknamed the Pleasure Evo, right? So it is. if you're on Instagram, we'll get that out right now. You can go and look at it. Um, you can still listen to the podcast, but you can go on, on Instagram, look at it on your phone. If you look up uh, at Pleasure Evo. Yeah, uh, that's the, just Pleasure Evo, one word. Yep. There's all pictures of the car. And I've even got a, I've got a couple pictures of it on mine, um, just from different events. But those are a little harder to find. This is a single-serving Instagram just for just for the, the one car, just for the one car, which is cool. I thought I'd give it a shot. Apparently, people like single uh, single stream feeds. Yeah, it's weird. Like, yeah, Andrew has one for his dog. And I didn't think anybody would follow it. Then there's like a ton of followers. For <laughs> there's like a million for dogs. I should I say like, Stephanie has one for Andrew's dog? Yeah, there's so yeah, many for dogs. Black, it's a black lab, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, there's there's probably a couple. There's at least three on Instagram. Oh, more than yeah, that. at least at least three that you know of. <laughs> yeah. Probably three thousand if you think. I think about there's it. three just from the Boston area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe so, so anyway, uh, on the Pleasure Evo, you've owned that for quite a while. It's I think it's over ten years, right? This is true. Yeah, I got it in '04, so it, it's it's pretty crazy. I have had it for a while now. I'm surprised actually. And just slowly developing it over all the years. Yeah, you know, it goes through periods of, like, sort of heavy development and then refinement and then storage and then uh, renewed interest followed by refinement, I suppose. So is there but, a uh, – oh, guys, sorry. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been since 2004, and, and it started out sort of as a street car, but, I mean, it was, it was a stock car when I got it, I should say. And slowly over time, it, it went down that – that path of becoming a track car. So is there a story behind the name Pleasure Evo, or is that just... Yeah, a little bit. You know, it started out kind of as a joke, because I think for a while, in like maybe 07 to 09, I wanted to sell it. It was driving me crazy. It was sort of that period uh, when your job 
uh, collides with your hobby and you just start hating everything at the, at the same time. And uh, my friend Ron Adams, who we were racing with, he had a, a Subaru uh, STI. He saw my frustration and he named it, in, you know, ironically, the Pleasure Evo because it provided me with very little pleasure. <laughs> but it was also sort of, it was also sort of like a, a homage to uh, like a cigarette livery, you know, like a Newport Alive with Pleasure. Okay. You know, oh yeah. Like okay. Five five five, and you know, all the all the cigarette liveries we've come to know, and maybe also a little bit of like Depeche Mode influence in there too, because we like Depeche Mode. So all those things. Excellent. We all like Depeche Mode. We're all very fans of. Uh... I'm glad to hear that. That, that, that genre of music. Yeah. So Pl- Pleasure Evo was named kind of like, you know, everybody's got a friend, Tiny Joe or something like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah who's really a big person. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Reverse nickname. You know, you call it a right-handed picture, pitcher lefty and. Yeah, exactly. So what, uh, what so was, was there a, a point where it was, this car is no longer going to be a street car. It's going to be a race car. Or was it just kind of that snowballing downhill kind of thing? Like everybody gets into. Yeah, you know, I guess it started, I had a few sports cars before it, and I just really loved driving this car. It was the best, just stock, it was completely stock when I got it, I think I said that, but it it was very light and nimble, and it was powerful enough that you you could get going pretty fast, and it did everything you asked of it, and I think that I wanted to appreciate that more at, at the track a little bit um, because, you know, you have like a really slow car you can drive on the street kind of flat out everywhere and no one notices. Right. And it's fun to sort of drive at the edge. If you have like a Volvo 240 wagon or something, yeah, slow, slow car fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this was like a little too fast for that. So I started doing some track days with it and it was really fun. And then of course you're like, Oh, if I just get some wider wheels and some wider tires and if I just get a, you know, a bigger turbo. And after a little while, it just started getting a little bit, a little bit too much for the road, a little bit too much attention, a little too loud. And it actually didn't take long since I got it because I had bought it with the intent only of using it on the track anyway. So um, I'd say like within the year, it was uh, strictly uh, off-road vehicle. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I remember the, the the rumors and grumblings that there was one coming when you were getting it, and uh, oh yeah, see, seeing it at, seeing it at a car show somewhere. I don't remember what car show it was. Oh, it's pretty funny. It may have been cool. maybe Japanese Car Day or something in Brookline or so somewhere. The car went to when it was still stock and street driven, and it was yeah, just like yeah. You guys, you guys go back far enough that you remember all that. Not many people remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I think Andrew had his car tuned at back in your old garage, didn't he? Man, I did a yeah, couple dyno days. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not too much, but dyno, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but that brings that was uh, I did have on the Gallant. I had you guys throw a intercooler on it. Yeah. Oh yeah, they made the piping for you, right? Well, made it made it fit. fit. Yeah. <laughs> made Modified it fit more in the hodgepodge that it was in the car to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. Did so, a lot of that. What? Um, I don't know. Should we do? Want to do some car history first, or? Before we get too far into the Pleasure Evo, or should we keep going with that? I think we'll still keep going with the Pleasure Evo, because we're right. already middle of it, and we'll, uh, people are you know, listening about what that is. And yep. so, so to continue, I guess, the the real change was for hill climb, and 
uh, New England Hill Climb Association mandated a roll cage at some point. They had these sort of obscure, difficult to understand breakout rules. Yeah, we're they established some breakout time that if you came in under this certain time at a certain hill, you could do it one weekend, but then if you did it again, you had to come back with a cage the next time. And it was all these weird rules. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to cage the car because it's fast enough and it's it's dangerous anyway. So once you put a roll cage in a car, it's not really fun to drive on the road anymore anyway. So that was that was the end of it. Yeah, we're trying to figure that out, the breakout time thing, because we're looking into some hill climbs with the Brad's got a, a beat-up old stereo that we need to put back together, and we'll probably just use it for stuff like that. Oh, cool, cool. We're assuming, well, yeah, you can, we're assuming it's not fast enough to break out, so... Uh, it probably is. I mean, if you, the thing is in your first event, you probably won't break out, right? Like if, if you gave your car to an old timer, they could probably do it in the first run, but it takes a little figuring out. Like all those events are about course memory. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if you don't really know the course, you could have a very fast car and still not break out. I think the thing I like about hill climb too, is it's a, a throwback event really to like the beginning of automobiles. You know, it was one of the first types of racing yeah yeah it was hill climbing mm -hmm. and especially in new england it has a long history of it it does i think 1906 was the first mount washington yep and then even a lot of the the smaller hill climbs are very historic too you yep. know I, I think uh mark donahue got a start on a in like vermont doing hill climbs which is pretty cool yeah yeah i mean it it, it is the first type of auto racing and I, I think that I like it more because you're doing it in a beautiful setting. You're outdoors, you know, in the woods in Vermont and not at some track in the parking lot in another state that's not Vermont, let's say. Yeah, which is any other yeah. state in the country. Right, yeah, pretty much. Vermont, Vermont is very, uh, very uh, special. Know, I was going to say New Jersey, so we'll just say New Jersey. Okay, right? okay. It's not, it's not New Jersey. Yeah. Not New Jersey. Right. Vermont and New Jersey are pretty close as far as geographic, but couldn't be further apart mm -hmm. as far as states themselves. Right. But, right. you know, that we, that's one of the reasons we started talking about it ourselves because, you know, we're big into doing, you know, the overlanding and off-road trips, and we camp all the time. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was kind of a way to combine everything together. And it's probably one of the more affordable ways, I think, to enter into a motorsport beyond autocross or rallycross. For sure. And it's, it's like a, a true you really feel like you're having an event and I'll try to skirt around bagging on other forms of motorsport, but the, this is, I started a, a, it. it's okay. It's, it's a real, it's a real race, right? Like, and it's, it's dangerous and it's fast and it, you're right. It's not super expensive and it doesn't take a huge toll on your equipment. Like even less than a track day would, you don't go through brake pads. You don't go through tires. Yeah, shorter stints, less well, heat. Well, you're going uphill, too, at least for braking, right, yeah. most of the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not – you generally don't have to brake as hard unless you have a super powerful car. Which an 84 Starion is not. No. Right, yeah, you might not have to use the brakes at all. And then the other thing, too, um, it's compact, right? So like a like a stage rally, if you were to do that, it's spread over maybe, you know, 100 miles of right. like geographic area and all these different stages and the car has to drive there and then finish a stage and, and the support team has to follow yeah, you around Yeah, and get yeah. back to service. At least with this, it's all compact in one place. Yeah. And, and, and you also with rally, you have these challenges of, you know, if you want to win, you need to bring a lot of tires and you want to bring pads and crew and yeah, 
You're... Yeah, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it very, very grassroots. We're gonna show up with a car and drive to the top of the mountain, and then do it a couple of times and go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, did and... I did that for many years, and yeah. it was really fun. Yeah, it's it should be fun. Rewarding. Yeah, it's a good crew too. It's really a huge cross section of people that are all very interesting. Oh, that's what happened. Is I was at a uh, rally cross last weekend um, with another friend of the podcast, Jordan, and his STI. And uh, at the after, you know, the events, uh, the after awards, I should say, um, one of the other hill climb competitors and stage rally competitors was sitting there talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And he, he gave us his card, which had all the, you know, the events in the New England area listed on it. And the next thing you know, they're showing us videos. And it's like, all right, we're sold. I mean, we were already sold, but now we've been really pushed. <laughs> And really sold. we have this car that we've been kind of like, what are we going to do with it? And now I know what we're going to do with it. So it's, it's almost a bit cultish, but I'm okay with it. If it's so really cross. or hill climb, hill climb and yeah. staring ownership. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, oh, so I like staring. It's a cool car. So you started modifying the, uh, pleasure Evo for hill climbs. And yeah, that was the first kind of thing I did. So like a cage, well, I, did, I did a few track days first actually. Okay. And then I did some hill climbs. So a cage was like the first thing, and then you yeah, start... I bought a cage, uh, a pre-band cage from the UK. It was from Custom Cages, and they shipped it over. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was sort of a period correct cage. Uh, it had like a single door bar, single diagonal. It was fine. Like it, it, it passed uh, tech for hill climb, no problem. It was fine for almost any track event, and. Uh, the car was still like you could get in and out easily of it. Yeah, it was still like not super loud, and it ran on street gas and had a stock ECU, and uh, had a lot of things that allowed you to, you know, drive it inexpensively uh, at events, which was which was kind of nice. And <clears throat> maybe maybe it would have been nice to press pause on development there. You know, it's like. Uh, just enjoy it and drive it a lot and have it not need a lot of engines and a lot of parts and maintenance. But I kept going with it. And uh, so we did Redline Time Attack also for, for a few years. Yeah. And started out in the street class, which really wasn't street cars. I mean, you know how that goes. It's like street class, but people bring aero cars and five, 600 horsepower cars and that's kind of the rule with auto racing in general. If there's a way to bend the rules, somebody will. Oh, they got they got bent. Well, yeah, yeah it's the it's the unfair advantage, right? You you yeah, speak of Mark Donahue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the the synopsis of the Redline Time Attack GT Live years were start in street class, do very well, move up to modified class, do less well, move to unlimited, and surprisingly do well because there weren't many cars in unlimited, mm-hmm. and the car started breaking a lot because it was getting pushed really hard. And we did a bunch of national series events in the last year. We did Redline Time Attack. And uh, then I stopped. I pretty much stopped using the car entirely until, uh, for I think, three years, until 2011 when Climb to the Clouds came back. And that was the first first time I had gotten the car in a few years. So Redline Time Attack, that was probably 05, 06, 07-ish? Yeah, I think 06 might have been the first one. I did the very first one at Beaver Run in Pennsylvania. I think I remember coverage of that in, like, Sport Compact Car back in the, yeah, exactly. the days yeah. of that magazine. Yeah, because I don't think yep. it's – I don't think it's Redline Time Attack anymore, is it? That's Optima – the Optima Challenge, is that one, or is it something else? Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I don't even know anymore. Might be, like, Grid something. I don't know. No, yeah, I, I no think... idea. Yeah. 
So at what point, cause I know, so this, these, uh, generation Evos came with the seven bolts, four G six three. Okay. It did. So, and, uh, mine was, was a seven bolt. Yeah. And when I got the car, actually, uh, it needed a lot of work. It was abused. It was put away wet. And, uh, the only thing that wasn't wet actually was the transfer case because there was no fluid in it. <laughs> and, uh, and it turned into like a, a molten pile of metal. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually before I drove it. So when I went to pick the car up, uh, I had to drag it onto the trailer because the wheels were all locked. Yeah. And uh, so the first thing was put in a new transfer case and go from there. And I did that and, Probably like a year later, I was having some clutch problems at New Hampshire. I was like, oh, my clutch pedal feels really weird. I don't know what's going on. So I inspected the the clutch and the flywheel, and I was able to move the flywheel like almost a centimeter off the block because there there was no thrust bearing left in the engine. So the the seven-bolt did its seven-bolt thing, and it, uh, it, it ate the thrust bearing. Yeah, because these, sorry, these cars had like a, the seven bolt was like a half thrust bearing. Yeah, yeah, and and it had the crank walk. Yes. So it it got a case of the crank walk. Now, I was unaware that the Evos had the same issue the second generation said. Like the same thing, same problem. Makes me a little more hesitant to (laughs) go out and buy one. (laughs) It's almost like every car I like. It's just gonna. You just have to count on it needing an engine right away when you buy it. Like, uh, you know, if I if I got a GC8, like oh, I want my next car, I want to get a Japanese GC8, like a STI. And I'm just right. I just know it's gonna need an engine right off the bat. You know, that's kind of the whole thing with enthusiast cars. I think you get something that's you know designed to yeah. be abused, and guess what? You're gonna get one right. that's been abused. Yeah, especially right. if you buy cars that are now approaching 20 years old. Yeah, 20, 20 years 30, old. You know, 25 30, years old. Yeah, yeah, and 30 years old. You know. They've been. Uh, so I, I put a Gallant block in. We had a lot of blocks around, luckily, at the shop. And, uh, and then that was a good opportunity to do a built block. And uh, did some higher compression pistons, I think nine to one. Mm-hmm. And some rods. And then I went through a few iterations for, for engines because they all broke in various ways. But uh, that helped out a lot. That made the car a lot more reliable. By not running the seven bolt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's why six bolts are so desirable. Right. Yeah, I bet they're really hard to find these days. They're they're getting to that point, yeah. Yeah, they're 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 still out there, but they're not exactly common. No, or or ones that are in good shape either. There's been you know, you might find one that's like trashed or something and like I bought one it came with my parts car for the Galant, but I was able to I kinda knew the guy and he wanted to get rid of the car, he was losing storage. So he sold me the car and the engine for four hundred bucks. So I got lucky wow. there. But it that's awesome. it spun the number one rod bearing, and that's why he put the car away and took it apart. So that had to be we had to like grind the crank and build it back up, and then put some oversized bearings in it. But yep. So that at least saved that engine because otherwise it was fine. That's or you, good. Or you yeah. have my Galant, which is a similar story. Somebody yep. put a motor in it to get it back on the road. Didn't know the history of the motor and. Maybe you know a hundred miles into running it, that spun a bearing as well. So yeah, 
All six so. bolts. So nothing perfect, I guess. Just old motors, yeah. and yep. if you don't know what you're putting in the car, then you probably uh, inspect it a little bit, I guess, first. But they just spin around so fast. Yeah, it's amazing. With a lot of boost it's in magic, them. Magic, actually, I think it's magic. Yeah, cars are magic. We've just we discussed they that are. before. You know, the, the the ultimate magic is the automatic transmission. But anything in a yeah. car is magic. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not credentialed to even discuss that. No, neither neither are we. We we just look at them and throw them in the trash and buy a different car. Well, yeah, yeah. I had one that broke in my truck. I just put a different one in because it's not even worth rebuilding it. Right, although one of my Sapporo that continues to do stupid things. Yeah, but anyway. So after you, so you, the the sorry, the car now has like a six bolt in it, and um, I mean if you. If you're listening to this and you want to know more, more about the car, I definitely go look at the Pleasure Evo Instagram because there's lots of interesting pictures of it. And you've got some pretty serious, like, intercooler setup. And, but that's basically because yeah. you, at the time, you had a, a like, a, I don't want to say, like, a tuning shop, but a fabrication and race shop. So mm-hmm. you, know, you sort of had access to that stuff. But you probably would have done it anyways, even if you didn't have the shop, right? Well, yeah, I mean, to some extent, the shop certainly helped sponsor really weird decisions, uh, <laughs> having the stuff there to, to do it. Maybe the route to where I am now would have been a little more direct mm-hmm. or conservative. But we did, uh, yeah, I mean, it had several engines. It had several intercoolers. It had several cylinder heads. I, I ran a 1G head for a while because I thought that the, the ports were bigger, <laughs> so it, it was better, but it wasn't and uh, so I went back to an Evo head with an Evo intake manifold and while I had a Subaru uh, APS SR 55 or something turbo hmm. and and it was like adapted from a Subaru and the, the, I made this radiator that had like a, a, a canyon in the middle that the intercooler pipe passed through to feed the inner like to so the radiator had like a like it was like a, a buck tooth kind of look it was really dumb. Like, why would anybody do that, right? It didn't make any sense. Because you could. Because you could, right? Yeah. And I was like, it's just a total waste of time. But at the same so time, it, it, it probably also served as an advertising for the shop, too. Like, it hey, look what I can build. Rad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looked rad. Hmm. But, uh, so now it's everything's square and everything's 90 degrees. And uh, almost all the components are good, like known things, no parts on eBay, none of that. And I, I, for example, I was able to work with CNR directly this year uh, to get a really nice radiator and get one with the fins that were the right fin for what I'm doing with a car. And, you know, it turns out they have a lot of different fin designs for different types of motorsports. So stuff like that. So we've really narrowed down uh, closely on what the car is being used for and uh, been able to extract a lot of performance from doing that. Oh, that's cool. So, um, what? I guess we'll change gears here a little bit. Maybe we'll we'll grind in a second because it's Mitsubishi, sure. right? <laughs> Actually, yeah. what what is the transmission in, in the Pleasure Evo? Is it still uh, basically a stock Mitsu unit, or has it been built by uh, somebody or you? Or it's it's a it's a dog box and okay. it's a special very one. cool. It's yeah, a, it's a Group A one from Rally Art. It's it it looks like uh, what is it W fifty five M. Whatever they're calling I think it. that That's is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it looks like one of those on the outside, but it's like a little green because the case is magnesium. <laughs> what? And, yeah, and it's really beefy, and it's got 
semi-helical gears that the tooth angle is a little bit shallower, so the gears are stronger. Uh, and it's a dog engagement, so no synchros. It's really nice and also has really good dips inside it and close ratio, uh, short gearing. It made the car, like I tell people all the time, that this is the best component in the whole car. I would it, imagine, it, yeah. Well, what it is. it's sort of that, it was that secret sauce group A stuff that they were using. It's, it's amazing that you have that. Like, I have a rally art hat, and I'm happy, but you have a rally art group A transmission. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's I have I have two of them, actually. That's pretty ridiculous, and it's pretty awesome. zero mile spare, and people freak out about wanting to buy it, but, I, you know, I don't want to sell it because no if way. you sell all these parts, the car is, like, useless, right? So yeah. hold on to it. So mm-hmm. how, how did you come across a group A rally art transmission? Is it just I diligent people knowing or? People, super nice friends like Ramana who uh, had them for his Gallant, the Vermont sports car built. Okay. And he never used them. So over a few years, I was able to pay him for those. And uh, he saw, so during the peak Pleasure Evo years, the gearbox was breaking like every event. <laughs> and I think once you hit like 350, 400 foot-pounds, the Mitsubishi five-speed gives up fourth gear like every time. Mm-hmm. Fourth gears, fourth gears undercut because they pressed this uh, conical needle bearing onto the gear shaft, and it, it sits under the gear. So they undercut the gear so all the teeth aren't supported, and uh, it just explodes or strips or however it decides I'm failing. So that was happening to me all the time, mm-hmm. and I was like ready to just park the car for good. And Ramana was re- super nice to offer me those gear boxes at a really good price. So that's I pretty. Pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's re- yeah. really awesome, actually. Yeah. It's probably the coolest part of the whole car, I'd assume. In my opinion, mine, anyway. Mine, too. That's awesome. <clears throat> so, what led to the Evo? What was the. Uh, so, you want to go to, Andrew, the history yeah, of cars yeah, before yeah. it? Like, yeah. what, what, what brought you down the, the, the path to Mitsubishi ultimately? <clears throat> or was there a well, stepping stone? Were you, were you an Eclipse driver? What happened first? So, no. I, I My very first car was an RX7. Excellent. I've had a few of those myself. 1979 or early 80s RX7. And uh, I I always loved Japanese cars. My dad had an RX7 when I was really young. He, like, cherished the thing. And I think some of that rubbed off on me or something because I I really liked that car, too. Uh, I bought my RX7 at a junkyard. It didn't run, and it turned out that uh, it was just out of gas. (laughs) So I went to the gas gas station, and it was mint. It had no rust or anything in there. They sold to me. I said, okay, I'll be back to pick it up. And I went and got gas and uh, filled it up and drove it off. And the guy was super pissed because it was like $300 I think I paid for it. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, well, it's his fault. He thought it was broken. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, uh, the Evo was something like right – I don't know. I say right when the internet like started happening and it became a thing and people had uh, – remember those tripod websites? Oh, yeah, like Angel Fire and Tripod. Yeah, Tripod was like the Japanese Angel Fire. Okay. I used to go on at Mass Bay Community College uh, on the Internet, and I would look on these Angel Fire websites at Evos, and you know, because they were on Speed Vision. You know, we were watching Rally at that time. Yep. Late late 90s. That's peak Gran Turismo time, time too. Yeah, I just started freaking out about early Evos, and I just I wanted one so bad. I've always been into 90s cars, and it's not just Japanese cars. I had an E30 M3. I've had a few uh, 190E Mercedes. Um, 
Yeah, two Cosworths and one just regular. Excellent. uh, 190, 2.3. So, yeah, the Evo was always a special car, and I I loved rallying, and I I, I sort of, I guess every homologation vehicle I think is cool (laughs) in some way. No question. A car that that shouldn't exist but does just for one purpose makes it kind of awesome. Right, right. And uh, I I feel that way about motorcycles too, you know. So that that was sort of what led me down that road. And then I had a Gallant. I had a Gallant VR4. And uh, I think I got it in like 99. Yeah, so that's a pretty new car. Yeah. Yeah, you know, thinking back, back, it kind of was, right? Like it wasn't that old back then. No. Yeah, I think back like that because it was 99 when I got my first DSM. So it was kind of like the same... The yeah. same era where I was like, oh, the car is only nine years old. This is a new car. Yeah, exactly. I, I got mine in 2001, so it was only 11 years old at the time. Yeah. yeah. These weren't that old cars. Yeah. Now now we're old, and the cars are old. And now people don't know what they are when they see them at a driving age. I know. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. It's a little frightening, so I did actually. a little work on that Galant, and then I'd always wanted the Evo, and it, it the timing was right when I got it. So We wouldn't ask the specifics of that, but it's pretty cool that you had one here so early. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a, a jealous moment for every Mitsubishi fan in the Northeast. <laughs> you know, there are there are a few of them around. You'd be surprised. Well, I know a, a few of them, but yours yeah. is the yeah. only one that I ever saw. I think out and about because yeah, I don't there's know uh, brought them out. I know of one that was was uh, I'm going to try to be cagey here, but they it was found in someone's yard who didn't know what it was. And it was sold for twenty five hundred dollars. I would probably murder somebody for that deal. So think about that one for a little bit. That's yeah. weird. Now it's an Evo three RS. Weird. Jesus, that's awesome. Yeah, there's there's another there's an Evo five in Salem. Um, yeah. That we know of. We know the guy who owns that. That's pretty cool. And I've yeah, got an Evo five also down uh, on the South Shore. Yes, I know that the silver one as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there's a few. I mean, that's just mass, right? Like they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're around. Yeah, there's an Evo three. One of the guys that comes to hill climbs or ice sprints. Excellent. Up in New Hampshire. So they're around. someday I'll have one. Maybe when I finally fix the Galant, I'll get rid of it and buy an Evo. (laughs) Well, yeah, you should be able to import them now. Yeah, yeah, you can get Evo ones now, right? Evo ones and almost Evo twos. I think it's only Mm -hmm. one year for the one, wasn't it? Or the Evo. Yeah. So. But I've been saying I'm going to import something for a while, and I haven't, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> the, thing, the thing to do, if you really are tricky, is to – well, see, now Montreal, you can't have a right-hand drive car that's not grandfathered. Right. Oh, if you really that. want to be tricky about things, you could buy something and store it up there. For Buy it the year before it's legal. Because the year it becomes saves legal, some money. Yeah. the price goes insane. But the year before, it's totally normal. Yeah, I actually – I have a friend uh, in Ontario – um, yeah, that with, would be with, good. With a big warehouse full of cars, and he imports them all the time. So uh, if you have the desire to do that, let me know. I'll get you guys in touch. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, his business. Well, I'll look him up for when I do that Subaru. That's yeah, his... that, that's his business, importing cars from pretty much exclusively Japan. Well, that's where our friend Chris got his Delica, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, I, went, I went up there. I flew up with our friend Chris um, to Ontario to, to, to check the thing out, and uh, we drove home his Delica from there to here. And it was the cool. same thing. He bought it. Just before it was legal, he stored it up there for like seven or eight months, and then yep. as, as soon as he could go up there and get it, he hopped a plane, picked it up, and drove it home. So that's great. We've already done it once, so we know he's cool with it. So uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely no, it's a worthwhile cool. endeavor. 
totally doable. And he's a legit, legit business. He's a good guy too. So cool. I'll definitely uh, say yeah, if you ever need to be. For mm-hmm. sure. And that goes for anybody listening, actually. If you know, you're looking to buy a car, I get, <laughs> I get somebody to help you out. Yeah. You see the, the market value of the cars. If you look on, there's a couple Japanese auction websites that I follow every now and then. And the, like, uh, Evo 3 now or early Evo CD or CE9A is uh, selling for as much as a CT9A. So it's like an Evo 789 for price for a clean one, which is crazy. I mean, that's the same thing happened to Escort Cosworths when, yeah, that's when we got our shop and we always joked about buying one. They were like five grand. Yeah. And now they're 40 or 50 grand. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually uh, a little upset that Fords have gotten so expensive. Yeah. They're completely out of price, <laughs> out, of, out of range now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a lot of money for an old car. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of Japanese auction sites that I follow too for the same, the same purpose. And it's, it's the, the models that are well known do that very, yep. very near the import date. There's two yeah. jumps. There's the 15 year jump for Canada and then the 25 year jump for here. Yep. <laughs> so I've been noticing that as well. But usually it's, it's it's more cars that are known. If you're looking to get into something that's a little less of a, an Evo or a Skyline, you can still do it. But yeah, those, that's true. Those the, the the hot cars to get the SDIs, the Evos, the Skylines. That's yeah, like unfortunate. Like the diesel Pieros, like the early ones, those yep. are still pretty reasonable, I think. Yeah, they're pretty cheap. So, because uh, nobody Re- really relatively wants them. cheap, nobody wants them but us. Yeah, but like uh, uh, the FJ eighties now or FJ sixties that are legal. Oh, they're big bucks. Yeah, those are big bucks. Yeah, huge money, which is ridiculous. Toyotas are always expensive. Any year on those auctions are expensive. It's nuts. Yeah, even some of the the lesser Toyotas are. I've noticed too, which is is strange mm-hmm. to me. But it's just the Toyota reputation of Toyota, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Hondas too are the same. Yeah, way. you know, there's a whole scene that yep. wants right-hand drive EG hatches, so you're not going to get those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, those are big bucks. But anyway, so what was the uh, the 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 span of cars like? As far as if you, you probably had way too many to discuss every one, but just kind of a a quick history of the important yeah. ones. You know, you had, you had one car that I loved, but you can get to that eventually. But uh, before that, what else was there? So uh, there was the E30 M3 was sort of a special car for me. I really liked that car a lot. Uh, I had a lot of really crazy stories from driving that car all over the place and being an idiot, young kid, crazy. Um, ended up totaling it. I rolled it on the street into the woods. Oops. So it was like a real Viking funeral, you know, you like... In hindsight, it was kind of a good way to see it go because I'm okay and I didn't get hurt. Right. Yeah. But like, it's pretty boring when you sell it and it's gone. But if like you drive it like it's supposed to be driven, if you ignore the fact that I was on a public road, then uh, you were young. We'll, we'll, we'll let it slide. I was young still. Yeah. I can operate under that disclaimer. Yeah. The, the uh, statute of limitations has passed. I'm sure. So it's over. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So that was a cool one. The uh, the first 190e I bought. Uh, first Cosworth, I should say. I went. I flew to Florida and picked it up. And it's kind of a weird one. This this dude was like a Blues Brothers fanatic. Huh. And he picked me up at the airport in a Blues Brothers replica police car. So Dodge Monaco, like, right? Hey, that I is, don't even know. That it's is amazing. Totally wacky, right? Like, what a weird intro. He drove me to a storage container. And he's like, here it is. And I was like, great. I already paid him. I'm like, 
I'll see you later. And he goes, you're driving home. I go, what did you think I was going to do? He goes, don't call me if this breaks down one block away from here. Oh, wow. So I, dro- I drove it home and it, it was fine. Didn't miss a beat. And then I was in an accident the next day, uh, one block from my house. Uh, and it was total. Oh, that sucks. Not my fault. Not my fault. That one, I should say. Uh, so that was a short lived one. Then when the insurance money from that one, I was able to get another one. So anyway, uh, those were some other cars that I cared about. Uh, I had a uh, uh, a Raider a Mitsubishi uh, Montero. Yeah, that had a crazy with, motor swap too, right? With a, with a one J twin turbo. Awesome. Always comes back to Raiders on this podcast. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'll be short on that, but the, the that was probably the best project I've ever done because it was like on time, under budget, and it blew my expectations out of the water for how cool it was going to be. Like it was unbelievably fast because it was such a light little tin can yeah we uh i, I don't know if you how much you've listened to the show if you have it all but we're we're a, we're, them, we're yeah. a bit raider fanatical around here yeah, uh, yeah. And we we have many of them so mm-hmm. uh I, I remember that it was, it was like a, the blue collar which is actually pretty rare only gray oh, really? blue. yeah there weren't very many of them huh. um and i know you had taken the bumpers off and that looked cool yeah and was it still four-wheel drive or not it was just rear it okay. had the super transmission okay I was I was uh I was inspired by the early Dakar right version which we're all inspired by but have yeah, run the 88 yeah. horsepower motor that comes with it and just live with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this had 300, you know, to the wheels. That's awesome. And it was nothing could beat it on the road because you would catch even like really fast cars like Corvettes or something you'd catch them off guard because yeah, they weren't expecting it. They wouldn't expect it. They thought they'd roll slowly and you're gone. That's a, so absolutely amazing. What did that ever end in? It was like a Ford nine inch, or no? It had the standard Raider. Standard rear Excellent. Those are so, like yeah, those are like, like an eight and a half or a nine. Those are big. Yeah, so it was probably one wheel under though. No yeah. limited slip. It would just it would just light them up. Oh, so it, the base, but it was geared yeah. really low too. I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, it had some top speed to it. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was one of my favorites from your past, and my other favorite was your other E30. Oh which yeah, is, which is the yeah. car I remember you most for? The the that E30 was a funny one. It was a street car, and I met my wife and took her out on the first date in that car when it was uh, a 318i. And then in my grandparents' driveway, I rented an apartment for my grandparents. Uh, they have an apartment house in Newton, Mass, and uh, I rented an apartment there. And in the driveway, I, I built this car, and it was a 4G63 powered E30 with a Mighty Max transmission, which was complete garbage. And uh, But it's, it's the cheapest way to put a 5-speed behind a 4G, so... Really apparently. Yeah. 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 Still, still is. Options, but it's still, it's still the cheapest options. way to do it. They never... Like, those bell housings never existed back then. That guy built Hinch. Yeah, the Bill Hinch ones, yep. Yeah, that, that wasn't even a thing. And uh, it took me a long time to build because I didn't have another car. And I I'd put myself in this situation when I started dating this girl and then I immediately took my car off the road. So I like showed my hand right away about like what kind of person I was. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and I embarked on this like stupid project and uh, it was kind of funny because the, the way the gearing worked out, the car probably would have gone like 210 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, it's like first gear wind out to like 55, 60 miles an hour. I don't know what was going on in that, but then it, it broke the tranny like right away and, I tried to build this like hybrid Mighty Max 
tranny. I think this was the first rear-wheel drive 4G63 car in the country, by the way. Like, I don't think another person had done this. That's a, that, that's a cool claim, and we certainly have some listeners who will uh, call you out on that if it's no, not. No, no. <laughs> remember that Project Zero G? Yeah, yep, yeah he's still up. Yep. This was before his car was done. Okay. And I don't know if anybody else, maybe someone put one in a Starion or something, but it was definitely the first rear-wheel drive BMW 4G63. Yeah, it's probably still the only one, right? <laughs> no, there's some in no, there's, no, there's a couple. There's okay. one, there's yeah, one. I, I know some others, and, and they're probably way nicer than mine was. Yeah. But the... the uh, then, I, then in that same car, I gave up on the 4G63. It was just a disaster, and I sold the engine to some kid in Hawaii. And uh, I bought an SR20 and put the whole drivetrain from SR20 in it. Yeah, that, the transmission is a little stronger, yeah. Yeah, like it's like a sports car transmission, sort of. Uh, and that was better, but the I, I, I couldn't get down with the Nissan engine too well. And it just I broke it. Couple times it seems to be the theme life. of all of the stories. <laughs> they all have that, a broken car in them somewhere. Oh, it fits right in. Hated engines. Yeah. yeah, it went through a few. But uh, you're actually the second guest we've had on the podcast that's done an early 4G63 rear-wheel drive swap. So cool, cool. We, we what had, was the uh, other one? We had uh, uh, Jeremy on um, 4G63 Mighty Max is his forum name everywhere. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. he had a blue. Blue extended cab Mighty Max pretty early on in the in the rear wheel drive four G six three days so yeah because that engine's not really set up for rear wheel drive as no, it's like not. no like the cooling you have to kind of futz with because yeah. you make a crazy pipe to come around the front yeah. and then off the back by the firewall and there's there's just better I learned a lot of lessons from that one and that lessons were you know what's great is a stock car those are the best yeah just don't don't dick around in your driveway for a year and just work work harder at work and earn money and then buy a nicer car that's not that's that, my old that's not our credo i've kind of learned that over the years you just yeah like like my town <laughs> has got a lot of work done to it but i don't really drive that much and the glant which is basically a stock rebuild with a couple of things on it i drive all the time so yeah i guess that 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 Mantra has been refined over the years of interacting with customers who you felt like their existence orbited a car and, and nothing else. Yeah. And you see these rich guys who like buy things to, to just sort of play a part. You know, they buy something because they want to fit in or they buy something because they've been told it's cool to buy. And you kind of want to operate somewhere in between those two, those two things. You want to have like a little, a little free time and a little money, but you don't want to be the poser, right? So it's like, I think my zone is somewhere in the middle there. No, I don't mind not having any money or free time, so I have lots of crap cans. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't thrill the wife, them. but you know, hey, you can enjoy driving them, and that's another. And, and that's and that's what it is. You know, it was the, the other day I was talking to my wife about selling. I have a 1978 Colt um, that I drive pretty much regularly mm-hmm. in the summertime. Um, and she's like, oh, you could sell it. We can use a couple bucks there. And I was like, but that's like the only car right now I drive that brings me pleasure. So I don't want to sell it. (laughs) Yeah. You can always sell the other ones that you have. Quiet now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you, uh, do you find yourself, um, I mean, you've had, you've had the, the Evo for a long time. Do you find yourself getting stuck on a car for a long time or do you normally don't do that? And you kind of pass. Uh, No, the Evo's sort of been a special case and 
I think part of that is because I really did like the car a lot, and I, I, I continue to appreciate it for different reasons. And at first, it was just like this really mythical thing that I never thought I'd have. So I appreciated it from that angle. And then I had it, and, and wow, it actually lived up to my expectations. It was, it was something that was as good as I thought it was going to be. And then I liked it for a long time because of that. And it brought me a lot of experiences that uh, through racing at the track and hill climbs and now doing Mount Washington twice, going on a third time. So it's sort of like been around for all these different things in my life. And, and, you know, I don't have any desire to sell it, although I did a while ago. Um, so, yeah, it stuck around. And, and also, of course, you know, it hasn't been crashed, right? Like it hasn't been it's it's been a really great car to drive it's not hard to control so it stayed out of the woods knock on wood right now but the uh the uh if it if it did and and that's how it went that's okay i'm okay with that well we're not we want to see it for the next you know decade running and (laughs) yeah we want to see you running it for the next decade i really like using things and i like uh i like getting everything out of them and if 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 something happens to it when it's racing, then that's that's okay. But if it like fell off the trailer on the way to the race and, and went into the woods or something, that would really break my heart, probably. Yeah, oh, I, I I can understand that completely. If, if something, you know, at the same mantra, you, you see a lot of the vintage race car guys driving around there, you know, three, four, five, ten, fifteen million dollar Ferraris. Yeah, and it's like how can they do that? But you know what? Yeah. what the car was built for. They're out enjoying yeah. it the way it was meant yeah. to be enjoyed, and. If something happens, they have the wall to fix it. So, yep. you know, that story might not be the same in our case as far as the wall right. to fix it. But, right. you know, if I was doing a hill climb at my Starion and I spun it off into a tree, I guess, you know, it would suck. And I've had the car for quite some time, going on a decade, mm-hmm. actually. And, uh, oh. I, but I wouldn't be terribly upset. Whereas mm-hmm. the reason I could take it off the road a few years ago is because some dummy blew a stop sign and that really pissed me off. Right. You know, you to tell people that you, you raced in a hill climb which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very cool. So I know you were getting the car ready for Mount Washington because you've run in 2011. So they're kind of doing it not every other year, I think. It's sort of... Yeah, every... it took a little hiatus from, you know, they, now it was 11 and 14 and now yeah. 17. Well, I think it, it's kind of whenever they can get the funding. Yeah, it ran, I mean, it ran for many years before that and then it was a huge break until 2011. Yeah. And... uh yeah, either it was funding or permission from because it's a private auto road up Mount Washington. So yeah. whether it was to get permission or the insurance for it, but anyway, because they brought it back, which is what it the was cool finding thing is. Subaru. I think yeah, to yes, help them. Yeah, yeah, Subaru has been really good for a lot of motorsports for sure, and for sure. Uh, so that's very cool. And then I have a Subaru, so so I thank them by buying one. Exactly, and then it's cool too that they, you know, they do open it up to other people and it's not just like a Subaru only event, but you know, well, they have the, they have the nice fast Subaru cars where Higgins shows up and Pastrana shows Mm -hmm. up, which is cool, but they also open up to little guys and independent teams, which is nice. And it's also not a bad, I've spectated it twice. Mm -hmm. Um, the first year I was above the cloud line and that was pretty awful because it was cold and windy because it's Mount Washington. Yeah. And then the second year we were, we're st- when I, I should say I was above the tree line. We were just above the tree line at the only dirt corner. And it was one of the very, very rare all sunny days there. 
and it was gorgeous. It was probably like 70 degrees where we were sitting all day. So it's a good, if you want to spectate, it's pretty cool. Yeah. 2014 was good because you could, you can either hike up or like they, we got there super early. They let us drive up to the top and then we walked, we didn't walk down. We hiked down a couple miles to the middle of the course, which was not bad going down. Going up at the end of the day was a little tough because mm-hmm. I had a bunch of camera gear with me and I didn't like think oh, I'm <laughs> carrying like 30 or 40 pounds of camera stuff. This is going to be annoying hiking and I don't hike that often. So I was a little tired going up. It wasn't as bad it's as a big friend. hill. It wasn't as bad as a friend who went with us who brought his boombox that takes eight D batteries. So Yes. <laughs> he was more ill-prepared than you were. <laughs> of course, I wasn't there. I've just heard the story a thousand times, and I'm making fun of him for it because I know he'll listen. Yes. But that's beside the point. Anyway, so I know you've been getting the car ready for it. Um, I've seen that you've done some – you had it on the dyno. You had it tuned. Uh, and it was like – I think you kind of – it wasn't really running right before. Is that what yeah, I understand it? Kinda, it was, it was, we ran into some problems and I have always stood by the guy who was always tuning our, all of our race cars for many years. And I continue to stand by him, but I threw him sort of a big challenge by going to this new ECU right before the event. And, uh, it was a lot to figure out and we all we closed, uh, for, so for 2000, 11 it ran uh an autronic ecu smc it was like a group n board in a evo 8 case mm-hmm. and i had a harness i made a harness for it to run evo 8 ecu and uh it ran fine then it was fine that, that was on a 40 millimeter restrictor there were no no problems it didn't have like uh altitude compensation Back then, like it had no barrel sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it so it was, it was just kind of like an old school ECU that was better than a stock ECU. Yeah. And then for 2014, it ran a Life F88R, which is a much more advanced ECU. Um, Nissan used it in the Delta Wing car, hmm. and uh, it's really cool. And I asked Matt, who was our tuner to tune it and he thankfully said he would do it and franz diebold do you guys know franz i know the name yeah i've definitely heard the name you know diebold autosport he does like basically motorsports at a level that like we don't operate at you know it's like he gets hired by professional teams to do tuning for them and he builds harnesses for like actual real race cars and Mm -hmm. so he was the guy that sold it he's the expert for for life and uh for life racing and he gave matt a primer but there were a lot of things that matt so the shop was closed in 2014 so matt was basically like coming down to do me a favor and franz did some remote desktop stuff to get me set up and then we went to the dyno with matt and he got the car running fine but there were a lot of features that we weren't using and uh things that he didn't know about on the ecu that we could have taken advantage of um that we didn't and their car there were some problems there one problem was in practice the car was running super lean and we had no idea why because we'd look at the map and everything would look fine and i'm not a tuner so i don't know exactly what was going on i 
I get to an event, I kind of just become a driver and I stop wanting to think about everything else. Uh, but he, the car was so lean that you couldn't pull off, like you couldn't get it moving in first gear without like launching it. Hmm. So we did this uh, second half of the mountain practice on, I believe, Saturday or maybe it was Friday. And I had to bail on the practice because they staged us on the side of the road and I couldn't get the car moving up the hill. Like one car would go and the next one would pull up 20 feet. And I was like, I couldn't even, the car would just stall. So I had to back down and turn around and just coast down the hill. And that really like threw my head for a loop. You know, you want to practice and you want everything to work right. So somehow we worked through that. And then this is sort of a point of contention still for everybody, but the, the ECU came with a a high water temp shutoff safety. Mm -hmm. So water temp, I don't remember the figure and this is part of the contention, but they if the water temp hits like 200 or 220, the car will shut off like to protect the engine. Right. Which is not like, very hot either. That's <laughs> That was my argument. That was yeah. my argument, right? So like yeah. on the second time run, my car shut off right after the dirt and my day was over. That was it. And uh, I didn't know why it shut off at the time, but it had hit that safety feature. Mm-hmm. And on the first time run that I actually made it up, it did, it shut off then also but it turned back on because it was in the morning and it was just like flirting with that border that it was cutting out, but it came back on. And I thought like it had fuel starvation or something, which would have been really weird, but I was trying to play it off like something else. And I didn't even mention it, but the second run, it was warmer out and I put it over the edge. So uh, that was a real bummer. And because certainly if that happened, I would have said, let's just send this engine to car hell. I don't care. Like mm-hmm. run it all the run it all the way. There's 20 seconds left in the event. It's really expensive to run the event. Yeah, and 200 degrees is is you know, yeah, a thermostat it, it opens at 180. It's not like it's overheating and shooting smoke out. I don't I don't care. Like just do it. Yeah, it's uh, like it's like a cylinder head at that point is nothing in terms of the cost of getting everybody there and renting a house and all the fuel and uh, you know it just goes on forever. And then so it's kind of like was, if you're at Pike's Peak, like you get one shot. Like you yeah. just do it. If the car breaks, it breaks. Like right. So this year, uh, Bill and I hired Franz to come up from Virginia and tune our cars, and he did I think eighty pulls with my car on the dyno. That's a lot. Yeah, we were there <laughs> a long time. I went through ten gallons of fuel on the dyno. Wow. Yeah. And and uh, the thing's running awesome. It is so good. We have a couple more things to do. Uh, I have several boost maps, uh, and this is all stuff Matt could have done. I'm not like bad mouthing Matt at all. Like he's awesome. But again, like if someone was like, uh, I want you to like study this law book and get back to me tomorrow, but I'm only going to pay you to like understand page one, but learn the whole book. You know, it's like kind of that. He had yeah, no incentive yeah. to. So uh, the anti lag is banging. It's going to have launch control this time. I've never had that before because I've never had a speed sensor. Excellent. Um, that's really another thing that like relieves a lot of stress because you don't want to flub the launch and stall the car like the run. You might as well just not take the run if you do that. Right. Um, what class are you running that, with this? Unlimited now, so no restrictor. That's another new thing. So you're running uh, against like a, uh, Pastrana and Higgins and the Super Chicken. Awesome. Those are the big ones. Cool. Least. Well, definitely. We have like a, we're, we're rooting for the underdog. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure who the underdog is, if it's me or the super chicken. 
I feel the super, chicken, the super Chicken's history has uh, puts puts it a little less of an underdog. Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. Yeah. I'd agree with that. But, like, it's backwoods Vermonty style. It makes it an easy underdog story. It it does, but it grew up in the mountains. It did. Right. Yeah. It's been developed on the hill. <laughs> developed in the mountains. And right. Paul was a sick driver, too. So, like, that's never to be questioned. Like, oh, definitely not. Driver. Yeah, that's that's it's definitely, so it's, he's definitely it's a worthy competitor of, of the. It's of the, two cars, mine and Paul's, that could just explode at any moment, and then it's two factory cars that definitely will explode at any moment, but will have spare engines. Yes, and then uh, and so it's going to be an interesting show. Right? Yeah, I'm excited for it this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, it should be really good. Uh, and we uh, we have a, a map on the. I have like a, a dial on the dash, like so to turn the boost up and down. But I can also turn it to a position that like tells the motor it's about to be sent to hell. So if it does overheat or something, all the safeties are off. So if you're near the top of the mountain and you're like, yeah, something's wrong, there. but guess what? We're gonna finish yeah. this event. Guess yeah. what? You have no choice. You're going. I like it. All right. All right. I like it. We'll be there to pick up pieces if we need to be, but hopefully, hopefully that <laughs> yeah. won't be the case. Well, as long yeah. as you make it to the top, it can just roll down. Right. We have uh, we we have a couple of guests on the show now who will be competing. I think right is uh, yep. Uh, Vinny's going to run his talent. Yep. Cool. So let's uh, we'll have a few people to root for. Thankfully, you guys are in different classes, so we can root for both yeah. of you without feeling guilty. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's quite a few 4G63 powered vehicles running up the mountain, which is cool. Yeah, that is good. Um, there's another Evo uh, Rob uh, from New Jersey, uh, but it's not a 4G powered Evo. It's a- no, it's Evo 10. Which that's yeah, a very fast car. Powered Evo, yeah, yeah, that's a good car. Well, I'm excited. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll be a good show. Well, um, do you have any like sponsors or anything you want to plug or? Uh yeah, but uh, not not so. Two actually, one that I will reveal exclusively on this podcast. Oh, sweet, it's awesome! Fifteen fifty two wheels is supporting me. Oh, excellent! Oh, very I cool. haven't. I haven't mentioned it or uh, put up any photos yet because I, I don't want to do that like standard sponsor intro when people like take a picture of the box when it shows up at their front door and they're like, this is my sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to put them on the car with the proper tires. And this is taking a little bit longer than I thought, right? Because I have to order tires. and it, So uh, that should happen next week. And I'll take some pictures, but they look awesome. The wheels are badass. I, I wanted wheels that were sort of Group A style, and we found those. So are they the tarmacs? Yeah, the tarmacs. Yeah, oh, cool. they kind of look like Rega Masters a little bit. Yeah, kind of like yeah. Well, Regas are probably one of my favorite wheels ever. Oh, we're big fans of the Group A style wheels here too. Nice. Uh, seen Andrew Gallant runs the. Uh, he used to have the OZs and. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, now I've got the team dynamics that look like the they're look alike to the um, Rally Art five spokes. Yep. Yeah, those are sweet. And, and then uh, my my wife, her business, she has a, a dog business, it's dog care, and she takes dogs on hikes uh, in the metro Boston area. Basically, like for those from Mass, like Route Nine, sort of is the backbone of her pickup drop off area. But she runs this business, and. Uh, we're supporting her business, and she's supporting me. And the dog livery will be prominent on the car. You guys will probably saw a couple pics on Instagram. Yeah, I've seen little teaser pics there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I think it's cool. Yeah, 
And what's the name of her business? Um, it's called Bean Town Hounds. Excellent. Yeah, which they're on Instagram and, of course, have a website, right? Yep, they do. It's beantownhounds.com and also on Insta. Beantown Hounds. Cool. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's really cool. It's it's nice to have a spouse that's supportive, and I feel like I can sort of support her in a way, even though, you know, we we don't expect that anybody at Mount Washington is going to be knocking on her door for for business. It's still something cool that we can do. Yeah, together. coverage on the Internet goes a long way nowadays. So Yeah, it does, especially at an event like that. It's sort of a higher-profile event. Yep. And it, it's kind of a if you if you listen to this podcast and you go look at pictures of the car, it's like a really unique looking sort of livery, and it's I don't know, it kind of works. It's like these really cool cartoony drawings of dogs, and they're hanging out the back windows, like they're going along for the ride. Yeah, it's like I, cool. I like it. So we did some T-shirts um, in that similar style. So this was sort of like a carryover from these shirts. Oh, cool. And this artist named Shana, and her last name is Pasek. Uh-huh. I might be butchering that, but uh, Shana is a really great cartoonist that we work with to develop that livery. And uh, it's been a, a real pleasure to have that done. And she she helped me with the vinyl, the file for the vinyl people, and she did Megan's T-shirts. And we actually met Shana uh, because Chris, uh, her husband, was a customer at the shop. And Chris is uh, also a well-known artist. Has done some art for Facebook and Google, and he does like a lot of big corporate art. He did some uh, emojis recently for uh, for Google. Uh, so you'll see his stuff all over. And also, it's big in like skateboarding and BMX. Mm-hmm. So good, good people, and it, it's it's nice this time around to do something that feels a little bit more professional. To have like at least a little bit of vinyl. To have fresh tires you know, that are new and a car that's running a hundred percent, even though my driving is getting like worse and worse over the years. Cause I don't drive it ever, but the operations looking better and better. No, <laughs> cool. That. No, it's good. To, it's good to hear. I like to hear from, you know, sort of people that are, you know, you're not pro level, but you're a little more advanced than an amateur. I'd say definitely. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, we have experience to draw on and it does, it's not like being self complimentary. It's like when you, I think I kind of this from Bill, like everything that Bill, my, my friend and former business partner, he rubs off on me a lot. And he had this thing when he'd always look to the highest form of motorsport for inspiration mm-hmm. and for cues on, on how to operate and how to build things. And you have all these, this is sort of a digression, but I'll bring it back into reality. Like you have all these tuner shops that started when we did, or just after we did, they were making like the same old stuff and, things look the same way and they were using each other sort of as cues on what to do. And Bill never did that. He always looked to the top and we tried to operate when we did the rally service and we had a rally team. We always tried to look at, at professional teams, mm-hmm. even you know, Vermont sports cars, one of them, you know, but, but like in Europe too and operate how they operate. And even just looking to the right people to copy is, Think, uh, a good a good thing to do is uh does bill still run the run the nissan he does yeah he's is, gonna is be he running this year fast. yeah he'll be fast he's always good he's awesome driver as he's obviously he's running on unlimited as well correct he isn't he well, there's another class and i wish i could tell you offhand it's like the two-wheel drive version okay. of unlimited so it's, it's unlimited minus four-wheel drive <laughs> yeah minus 
minus two axles. Fair. For those who don't know, that's Bill Washburn. He runs the the Maxi yep. 240 RS. I think we call it 240. Yep. His yeah. Instagram is like really super popular. It's 240 RS Maxi. Yep. yep. That car was on the cover. Of, I remember it was on the cover of Sport Compact car. It was. Yeah, yeah. that was like the first GT Live when he beat the S2000. Mm-hmm. Um, he came over from Japan. Yeah, that car is pretty amazing. He's had that car all over the country, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's been he's been developing it for a long time. It should be really good this year. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing car. It's another one I can't like. I remember you know the beginnings of it and up mm-hmm. through through now, and it's 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 cool to have been around these things since the beginning and and see the development of them. Like I said, from almost streetcar days of your car to to now where it's yeah. a yeah, vinyl sure. a vinyl stickered race car. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely yeah. proper. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Well, it's not something, I don't know, you grow up in Massachusetts, car culture isn't super huge here, but you got to really look for it. You do. But then yeah. when you find it, there's some really cool stuff. So Yeah, everybody's very, uh, like Yankees are like very conservative. Yeah. Sort we, of like Germans, you know, they're, they're, they're peeling badges off their car and they're putting them in the garage instead of showing them off like you, you might see in like Miami or LA or something. Exactly. Now. It's like. Like this conservative Yankee mentality, which is totally cool. Like I think yeah. it's fine. Yeah, Miami, where every BMW is an M car. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, there's I, I ride my bike to work and home. I don't really drive that much, but the um, the uh, there's a Renault R5 Turbo that I see coming up and down Route 20 near my house. Like I just drive. It's like brown. <laughs> it's that's the weirdest. Thing. That's pretty awesome. Just actually, it all the time, yeah. all summer, and you would never know. It's like a super rare, car, cool car. They're, you know, they're out there in mass. I, I used to work at a shop in Marblehead, and one of the guys down the street from the shop had a uh, um, a Delta Integrale, and it was the same thing. Cool. Like, it never, you never saw it anywhere other than just driving down the street. You never saw him yeah. at a show. You never saw him do anything else. It was just, hey, there's Delta Integrale in that guy's driveway, and he's driving yeah. to work today. Well, there's another one around now. My my friend, and I'll let him be reveal the news, but he got one, and uh, it's an Evo one. Oh, excellent! Nice. I can't wait to see that one either. Yeah, those are also very cool. Very cool. Um, I think I think uh, so. That was pretty great having you on. Um, thank you. I want to thank, thank you, you for calling in, and I, I think our listeners will really enjoy that because it's a little, a little different from, like I said, just listening to us every week. And it's one level up from our amateur level of motorsport. Maybe a couple we, levels up. Yeah. Together, we achieved <laughs> uh, clubmen. Clubman yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pro pro am. Right? <laughs> Semi pro. Yeah. We're 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 professionally amateur, so yes. we, we we've been amateurs for a lot of years, so we're really good at it now. <laughs> Just that, that's a money situation, unfortunately, but maybe someday we'll get there. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll get you guys there. well, you're doing a good job. Thank you. Twenty twenty nine episodes is pretty cool. Yeah, it's just over half a year now, so we're uh, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, good. no, it's fun. And uh People apparently like it. Yeah. No, we have so, way more uh, listeners than we ever thought we'd have. So Good. But uh, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. It was uh, real cool talking to you. Real cool talking car yeah. history. And uh, anytime you so, want to come back, please do. And uh, we'll definitely it. see you uh, running up the hill. Absolutely. And uh, so your social media is Pleasure Evo. Yep. Is there any other social medias you want to push, um, talk no, about? My wife's is Beantown Hounds. Uh, we talked about Bill's. That's 240 RS Maxi. Um, my brother's is N Grabau. That's just the letter N and G R A B A U. He's building an M3. He'll be racing at Time of the Clouds. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Got a Motec in his M3. Really nice setup. Good brakes. Should be a solid car. He won his class last time, so it'll be 
fast as usual. Excellent, excellent. So he knows the mountain. Yeah, he does. Yeah, very well, very good, very good. Um, so yeah, that's that's it. And uh, when will will there be a link up here that we can point people to for this? I will. We'll post this to. Uh, it gets hosted by Shout Engine, and then I post the link to the Facebook page, and I share it uh, through like my own page and Brad's page, and uh, we have a couple of people listeners that uh, share it elsewhere. And we'll be sure to send you a link. Yeah, we'll definitely send you a link, and then I like to put a little uh, Instagram teaser up uh, that on the so you can actually follow this podcast. We'll, we are on Facebook at Auto Off Topic Podcast. On Instagram, auto off topic, or you can email me complaints uh, if you want. Uh, auto off topic at gmail.com. Uh, I actually had somebody email me the other day. They're asking about first gen Monteros. Excellent. So I answered them. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, what, what about you, Brad? Well, as always, the podcast is brought to you by my company, Vintage Imports of New England. Uh, vintage Imports of N, uh, sorry, Vintage Imports NE.com. Uh, it's the same on Facebook, Vintage Imports of New England, and my Instagram is Vintage Imports of New England. <laughs> so just Google it. It comes up everywhere. Uh, you can email me personally any questions about buying an old car. You have an old car you want to sell. You want to import a car from Europe. We're working pretty strongly with that now. We're actually working to get a diesel first-gen uh, Shogun over here soon. Um, but you can email me, brad, at vintageimportsne.com. And you can do you do appraisals too, right? I can do appraisals. We can do automotive shipping. We have an enclosed car carrier for a single car. Uh, so something special you want moved, you don't want outside, give me a call. I can do that. Um, but, yeah, uh, stated value appraisals in the state of Massachusetts I can do. And uh, all kinds of full-service vintage car stuff. We can hook you up with photos if you want to sell your car. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, we can consign your car for you and put it out there for you and take it from start to finish if you want. So. Uh, if you want to follow me, I am Race and Anger on Instagram. Uh, Enzo, my dog, has been under the table here, and now he's getting fresh, so I think it's time to wrap up. But if you are curious, you can follow him on Instagram. It's Cuddle Buddy Enzo. Hey, you got it right this time. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, anything else you want to push? Your wife's oh. book, Brad? I probably should do that. Yes. You're absolutely correct, Andrew. Um uh, D.A. Flanagan is the name of the author who happens to be my wife, and uh, she wrote a book, uh, and her book is called Maddox Pike, which you can buy on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Um, pick it up, read it, ebook. You know, It's not very expensive. It's a good read. It's a cool mystery story. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's working on a children's book now as well, which should hopefully be out in the next month or so, um, but she wrote and illustrated everything. So obviously Maddox Pike is not a children's book, so... Uh, the second book is a little bit of a departure, but hey, I wish her all the luck in the world. And uh, D.A. Flanagan is her author page on Facebook as well. All right. And once again, I just want to thank you, Alex, for, for calling in. You're welcome, guys. All right. Uh, That's a wrap. Thanks a lot. See right. you soon, Alex. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Keep your cars analog. Mm-hmm.